0: God bless all of you. If you'd like to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 12, and I'd like to continue my series on uh, personal revival. Uh, As I said last week, 2020 was a year of personal survival. and 2021, let it be a year of personal revival. Amen to that, right? And appreciated our worship, and uh, my wife uh, just uh, superintending the spirit of the Lord to just uh, make it uh, just personal revival-centered, repentance-centered in our worship today. Last week, we talked about a personal revival that centered around the house of God. They were to sanctify the house of God, to uh, open it back up again, to prioritize it, uh, to uh, repair the doors, and and to take out the trash, and all that good stuff. And today, I want to talk about a personal revival that centers around the Word of God. So last week, it was the house of God. This week, it is the Word of God. Before I do... I just wanted to just talk about a little bit about our country, our nation, and, uh, boy, the challenges that we face and the darkness that seems to be in the land. And uh, we know that history tends to repeat itself, right? Well, there is a time, my parents got Time Magazine when I was growing up, and so every month, uh, every week, it was delivered to the house. And uh, here is a Time Magazine cover, April 8th, 1966, April 8th, 1966, an actual is God dead? Well, 1966, uh, you know, you had the, the, the sexual revolution, the, the hippies, uh, the drugs, the question authority, the Vietnam War, uh, or, uh, the civil rights movement, and uh, just a lot of stress, a lot of strife, a lot of division, a lot of wickedness. And so uh, the guy wrote uh, that wrote that, Is God dead? He wrote it as a question, but in the article, he literally said, yes, God is dead. Well, five years later, it was uh, June 21st, 1971, this one came on the scene, the Jesus Revolution. And I remember, because I was about 13, 14 years of age in 1971, I remember getting this magazine, and I remember I saw the cover of it, and I remember as a young teenager reading the article... Of course, I was not a Christian at the time, but reading the article, and they had pictures, and the hippies were in the ocean in California being baptized, and their arms were raised, and and they were sitting around in circles on the floor and rapping about, that's what you used to do, right? You used to rap. That I mean have conversations. You, they were rapping about Jesus and things like this, and uh, It's amazing, isn't it? And I, I I went back uh, to 1971 in that particular article. And can you imagine these things being written today? time magazine newsweek magazine online type of stuff he is indeed uh, the article says as the words of this wanted poster from a christian underground newspaper demonstrate jesus is alive and well and living in the radical spiritual fervor of a growing number of young american americans who have proclaimed an extraordinary religious revolution in his name their message the bible is true miracles happen God really did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son. In 1966, Beatle John Lemon casually remarked that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus Christ. Now the Beatles are shattered and George Harrison is singing, My Sweet Lord. The new young followers of Jesus listen to Harrison, but they turn on only to the words of their master. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. It is a startling development for a generation that has been constantly accused of tripping out or copping out with sex, drugs, and violence. Now embracing the most persistent symbol of purity, selflessness, and brotherly love in the history of Western man, they are afire with Pentecostal passion for sharing their new vision with others. Fresh-faced, wide-eyed young girls and earnest young men, badger businessmen and shoppers on Hollywood Boulevard, Near the Lincoln Memorial, in Dallas, in Detroit, and in Wichita, witnessing for Christ with breathless exhortations. Their lives revolve around the necessity for an intense personal relationship with that Jesus, and the belief that such a relationship should condition every human life. They act as if a divine intervention guides their every moment and can be counted on to solve every problem. This was the Jesus movement where God began to save these young people. And I remember as a 13, 14 year old sitting down in my house because we got that, that subscription to Time Magazine. I remember reading that article and I remember thinking this was crazy. I didn't understand it. What's this all about? Little did I know five years later at the tail end of that Jesus movement revival, My wife and I got saved. Got saved at the very end of that revival. It was happening in the church that we got saved in. Young people were flocking in. We were having coffee houses and rapping about Jesus and uh, all that good stuff. And God saved me out of a life of rock and roll and drugs and uh, did a marvelous, marvelous deliverance in my life. And uh, boy, I tell you what, history repeats itself. Deja vu. Is this not what we need here in America? the rise of secularism and atheism and marxism and sex and drugs and violence and this and that and uh, we think well this might just be the end of the america as we know it and i want you to know that god just back like he did back in the late 60s and in the 70s he began to pour out his spirit and radically transform lives hallelujah yeah. Joel two twenty eight says, and it shall come to pass afterward, this is the last days, and we are living in the last days, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, my wife talked about that when darkness seems to be just uh, rising and, and just increasing. That's when God shows up. I ministered a, a number of months ago on this, talking about how at Cornerstone, this just needs to be a Jesus thing. And I talk about how it's not a black thing, it's not a white thing, but it's a Jesus thing, right? It's not a Democrat thing or a Republican thing, but it's a Jesus thing. It's not a mass thing or a vaccine thing, but it's a Jesus thing. Well, let's read Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 to 12. I, I taught this message, revival at the water gate. Last week we talked about revival that centered around the house of God and prioritizing that and setting that apart and cleaning it out, cleaning out the trash and repenting and getting right with God and how every revival always brings about a recommitment to and a love for the house of the Lord. Well, today we're going to talk about the word of God. I love the scriptures. I love the scriptures. Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 to 12, it says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. That's why I called it the revival at the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read it from the then he read from it in the open square that was in the front of the water gate. So he's reading the scriptures from morning until midday, that's six AM to twelve noon, six hours. Six hours. <laughs> Six hours they stood attentive to the reading of the word of God. That's why this is a revival, you see. Before the men and women and those who could understand. Those who could understand would be children that could understand the reading of the word. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. And that's why, you know, in churches, the the altar area where the preacher preaches is raised up. It's because of this verse. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him at his right hand were all these people. And verse 5, and Ezra opened up the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people and when he opened it all the people stood up. That's why many ministers say, "Let's all stand for the reading of the word of God" because of that passage of scripture. Verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, "Amen, amen," while lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Joshua and all these people the bible says the levites helped the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place so they read distinctly from the book in the law of god and they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading and Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and all the Levites who taught the people said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. The words of the law are the first five books of Moses. All right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And of course, in that, there's a charge to obedience, and in that, there's the warnings of disobedience, and, and they realize as the, as the law was read that they had fallen short, and they're under the conviction of the Holy spared that's why they're weeping and then in verse 10 then he said to what to them go your way eat the fat drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our lord do not do not sorrow for the joy of the lord is your strength so the levites quieted all the people saying be still for the day is holy do not be grieved and all the people went their way to eat and drink to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them well there was a need for revival need Nehemiah, obviously, is a book about the rebuilding of the walls. If you read the book of Ezra, that's the rebuilding of the temple, which was about 140 years earlier. So by the time we get to Nehemiah chapter 8, the walls have been built. The temple had been rebuilt. They were well-structured. They were well-defended. They were well-organized. But obviously, going into Nehemiah chapter 8, the people lacked a spiritual passion. They they lacked a, a, a move of God. Uh, they had done the work and they had ordered themselves, but uh specifically they got Ezra, who was a scribe, he was a priest, and a scribe is somebody that copied the law. And because they were priests that copied the law, and because of that, many times they were the ones that taught the law because they knew it so well. And they got this Ezra, and he said, we want you to come, and we want you to read the word of the Lord to us. We realize that we need more than just walls, and more than a temple, and more than safety, and more than well government. We need somehow for God to be in our midst. Reminds me of Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. God speaking to this particular church, and he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Well, this church, this is the church at Ephesus, had worked labored, persevered, endured, patiently, maintaining doctrinal purity, yet they had left their first love. They needed to repent for a lack of spiritual passion. Does this describe you? Does this describe me? Patient, persevering, faithful, diligent, hard-working, maintaining doctrinal purity? Do I need personal revival? Do you need personal revival? They did in Nehemiah chapter eight. They did in Second Chronicles 29. What about Cornerstone in 2021? What about you and what about me? Do, do we need personal revival? Have you left your first love? If you left it, you got to reclaim it. You got to go back to it. You got to re engage with it, right? Well, I think I need a personal revival. There were steps taken here in Nehemiah chapter 8 that led to revival. It says in Nehemiah chapter eight, verse one, now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So the steps that led to revival for this group of people was this. Number one, the people gathered. Number two, the people gathered together as one man. Number three, the people gathered together as one man to hear the word of the Lord. And number four, the people gathered together as one man to hear the word of the Lord at the Watergate. And those are the four things, the, the steps they took. The people gathered. Let's take a look at step one. They gathered. Chuck Swindoll says this, In every genuine revival in history, two major things have always appeared. First, there has always been the proclamation of Scripture. Second, there's always been the responsive mobilization of God's people. We talked about this last week, a revival that, that centers on the house of God. There is no personal revival without that gathering together. That's why I think church is essential. We, you know and in this in this culture with the pandemic you know this business is essential and that business isn't essential and and a lot of governors did not deem churches essential and those said they try to limit this or that and uh, but i believe the church is essential because our faith is so important to us and the bible commands us to gather ourselves together and the first amendment guarantees us the right to gather together right and to exercise the freedom of religion And so I believe that uh, what we're doing today is essential and should be recognized as such by government authorities. Whether they do or they don't, that's up to them, but that's where I stand. And I can tell by your clapping, that's where you stand as well. Acts 4 23 and 24 says, and being let go, they went to their own companions. And so there we are, Peter and John, after being beaten and threatened, being let go out of, uh, out of uh, their captivity, they went, they went to their own companions. And so there they are gathering together, right? And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. So the idea of gathering, gathering, and that's where it starts here in Nehemiah chapter 8. The people gathered. The Bible says they gathered together as one man. So they gathered together in unity. It's one thing to gather together. And when you gather together, you bite and devour one another. And you chew on one another. You know, uh, I tell you what, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Strife and division grieves the Holy Spirit. Anger grieves the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that, that God will not move freely among his people if when we get together we make other things more important than the Lord, loving God and loving one another, those two great commandments. You agree with that, don't you? Don't shout me down for that strong amen. You agree with that, don't you? Yes. Uh, thank you. They gather together in unity as one man, the scripture says in Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity for there the Lord commands the blessing. The anointing of God always flows downward, always flows downward. It it begins in heaven. God sends that anointing. He sends it from heaven downward. It falls upon the head and then flows to the skirts of the garment. It, It just flows downward and there can be nothing that stops it. Nothing's supposed to stop it. And when you're in unity, when the body is one, it can flow freely. The anointing is there empowering us and stirring our hearts when we are gathering together in unity. The third thing I see, the steps that led to revival, the people gathered in unity, the Bible says to hear God's word because they told Ezra, bring the book. Bring the book. We want to hear God's word. I love Cornelius' heart. He was a Gentile and God had spoke to his heart and uh, so he called for the apostle peter to come and peter was a jewish believer and uh, peter still wasn't used to assembling or gathering with or connecting with gentiles because they were so unclean they didn't want to defile himself and there's a lot of bigotry there as well and religious uh, superiority and, and but god has spoken to peter also with this great vision Telling him to eat some unclean things. And he says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God said, don't call anything that I've cleansed unclean. And that was a picture. I'm cleansing the Gentiles. Don't consider them unclean. Now, there's some people at your door. Now, go with them. And so, God set Peter up. So, Peter's going to meet Cornelius and his group of people, Gentiles, knowing that he's not supposed to consider them unclean if God has cleansed them by the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad you're not unclean today if you have faith in Jesus? Amen. And so he finally comes to Cornelius' place. And Cornelius says this. We're talking about gathering together in unity to hear God's word. He says this in Acts 10.33. So I sent you immediately and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. We're all here in unity to hear the word of God of the Lord. And now we know the story in Acts chapter 10. God poured out a spirit as Peter was preaching. And the scripture says they were filled with the spirit for they heard them speak with tongues. And afterwards, Peter baptized those Gentiles. But that is something God did pouring out a spirit, filling them with the spirit. Because why? They were all present to gather and hear everything that God would say through that man of God. They wanted to hear the word of the Lord. But listen to this. Nobody got filled with the Spirit that wasn't at that place. That's why gathering together is so important. The church is the habitation of God in the Spirit. I don't feel like coming today. Well, you missed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Think of all the people that Jesus had touched. And how many were in the upper room? 120. Whatever happened to the thousands of multitudes? Well, they just weren't there. But I tell you what, the 120 were there, gathered together in unity, praying and seeking God. Those 120 got filled with the Spirit because they were where they needed to be with the right heart and the right hunger, and God met them there. So they were gathered together in unity to hear God's Word. R.A. Torrey says this, The great reservoir of the power that belongs to God is in his own word. If we wish to have power, we must go to the Bible. Yet people abound in the church who are praying for power and neglecting the scriptures. The people gathered in unity to hear God's word at the Watergate. These are steps leading to revival. Gathering together in unity to hear God's word at the water gate. Now the water gate was the gate that was repaired by Nehemiah and the rebuilding of those walls. Water for the city, for the people, came through this gate, the water gate, hence its name. This gate represents the open gate of heaven where the Spirit of God is poured out upon God's people. Standing to hear God's word in unity all together at the water gate. That specific place where the water was brought into the city was at this gate. And of course, this gate represents the open gate to heaven. It represents the Spirit of God that anoints His word and quickens hearts, right? And makes us alive unto God. So we don't want to just come and gather together in unity to hear God's word, for the letter killeth. We want to gather together in unity to hear God's word. At the Watergate, we need the anointing, the presence, the spirit of God for the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. Give me the word with the spirit in the proper balance with open hearts and I want you to know, it's no telling what God can do. Oh, personal revival starts right there. We need to gather together to hear his word and, oh God, let there be an open heaven and pour out your spirit. Make us alive unto you, O oh Lord. Cornerstone needs to be a passionate people of the house, of the word, and of the spirit. We, not, we must be passionate about the Spirit of God. Oh, Spirit of God, come and quicken us. We need to be passionate about the word of the Lord. Oh, I hunger for your word. It is my necessary food. And we need to sanctify the house of the Lord. Even Jesus says, the zeal of thine house, O oh Father, has eaten me up. Jesus had a passion for the house of God. That's why he cleansed the temple. Because he had a passion for the house of God. Oh, Jesus, come by your spirit and cleanse my temple. Make me alive unto you, O Lord. And, oh God, sweep through the people of this church... And cleanse our individual lives and make us alive unto God. So that this house called Cornerstone might be filled with the presence of God. Filled with people of God that are alive unto God with a first love for Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that. As they gathered together in unity to hear God's word at the water gate, God began to move. God began to stir. There were signs of revival. The first thing I see is they hungered for God's word. Men and women stood for six hours with their ear attentive to God, it tells us in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 3. He read it from the open square that was in the front of the water gate from morning, that's 6 a.m. to midday, that's noon. As I studied this out, that's what they said, from morning till noon, 6 a.m. to 12 I mean, that's That's six hours. It's interesting, you know, I, I, do a, I do a lot of conferences and seminars and things like this and, uh, you know, they tell you on these church growth seminars that you need to keep the preaching of the word limited to 30 minutes because that's all the people can stand. And I always disagree with that because, you know, you get the kid, you know, at the, you know, at the, you know they're doing the gaming, the, the Game Boy, and they'll be there all day long. Or, or they'll binge watch The Office, right? Or you know, or, or they'll be on the on social media for for five hours straight. But boy, you better limit it to thirty minutes; otherwise, you'll lose them. They just can't stay concentrated. I, I tell you what, it is—it's a lack of hunger for the Word of the Lord. That's what it is. I was kind of rejected that. I, I do believe, you know, don't preach. So, you know, don't preach a thirty-minute message and take sixty minutes to do it boring oh man you were done 30 minutes ago I mean that's all the contents you got I do believe you can just wear the people out but come on come on when God begins to give a personal revival one of the things you do is you begin to hunger for God's word R.A. Torrey has this to say about the word of God in revival it's kind of hard-hitting but I thought let's go for it it is evident From what has been said, that the first step towards obtaining fullness of power in Christian life and service is the study of the word. There can be no fullness of power in life and service if the Bible is neglected. And much that is now written on power, also in much that is said in conventions, this fact is overlooked. The work of the Holy Spirit is magnified, but the instrument through which the Holy Spirit works is largely forgotten. The result is transient enthusiasm and activity, but no steady continuance and increase in power and usefulness. We cannot obtain power and we cannot maintain power in our lives and in our work for others unless there is a deep and frequent meditation upon the word of God. If our leaf is not to wither and whatsoever we do is to prosper, our delight must be in the law of the Lord and we must meditate therein day and night. Of course, it is much easier and therefore much more agreeable to our spiritual laziness to go to a convention or revival meeting and claim a filling with the Holy Spirit than it is to peg along day after day, month after year, month, year after year, digging into the Word of God. But a filling with the Spirit that is not maintained by persistent study of the Word will soon vanish. I'm going to read that again. But a filling with the Spirit that is not maintained by persistent study of the Word will soon vanish. It is well to bear in mind that precisely the results which Paul in one place ascribes to being filled with the Spirit, he in another place ascribes to letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Evidently, Paul knew of no filling with the Spirit, divorced from a deep and constant meditation upon the Word. To sum it all up, Anyone who wishes to obtain and maintain fullness of power in Christian life and service must feed constantly upon the word of God. Oh, I thought that's great, isn't it? And I'm all for those encounters with the Lord. I'm all for having special meetings, all for that supernatural revival touch. I believe that uh, last Wednesday, Pastor Luke and the staff on on Wednesday night, you know, they just prayed for people to be filled with the Spirit. People opened up their heart to that, totally agree with that. But also know this, the Word of God feeds the activity of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives you a hunger for the word of God, and you can't divorce the two. If you want more of God, you need more of his word, and you need more of his spirit. You can't have just more of the spirit, but not more of the word, and vice versa. You agree with that, don't you? Oh, how we need to honor God's word. That's what I see here. They, they not only uh, hungered for the word of God, but they honored God's word. When he opened it, it says in, in Nehemiah chapter 8, all the people stood up. That's honoring God's word. Psalm 40 verse seven says this. Then he said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written to me. Now listen to this church. We do not worship the Bible. We worship the author of the Bible, the author of the Bible, but we honor God. They, we know that they were honoring God's word because when Ezra began to read it, they stood to their feet for six hours. We're going to be in a posture of standing, of honoring the word of the Lord. And when I say honor, what does that mean? It means you put weight upon the word of God. I know our thoughts and our opinions are so important to us. And the thoughts and opinions of others are so important to us. But when you honor God's word, you make the word of God weightier than or more important than the thoughts and opinions even of your own heart. When we say we honor the word of God is is we elevate it. What the word of God teaches, what the word of God instructs, we say I believe that and I will stand upon that and if my thoughts and feelings contradict that, then I will humble what I think to the authority and truth of the word of God. Now that is honoring God's word. This is revival. They hungered for the word of God. They honored God's word. The scripture tells us that the joy of their salvation was restored. In Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, that's a great verse, right? It says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's interesting. As, as, as Ezra reads the, the scriptures for six hours and, and the Levites were there and they were interpreting it and making it easy to understand because the word of God needs to be taught. It's challenging. It's a big book. It's a deep book. And it's a challenging book. I've made it a lifetime of studying of the Word of God. And, and, and I'm not an answer man. I get stumped by it sometimes. Pastor, what do you think about this? I'll get back to you on that one, all right? I'm just got to get back to you on that one. It, 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 we need to be taught the Word of the Lord. And so they're teaching it. They're teaching it. They're reading it. They're letting people understand. And, and all of a sudden, convictions coming upon them. They realize we are not living up to The commands of scripture and uh, Old Testament law had a heavy price to pay. And uh, no wonder we were taken into captivity. No wonder the temple was destroyed. No wonder we lost our land. But God has brought us back to the land and we rebuilt the city and we rebuilt this temple and we're the people of God again. And boy, we better get our act together. We, we, better, we better get our act together. And they began to weep because up until this point, their act still wasn't together. So they began to sorrow and to weep under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's something, isn't it? I got this quote here. It's wrong to rejoice when sin has conquered you. And also, it's wrong to weep when your sins are forgiven you. And I think that's where they got to, to this point. All right, enough weeping, enough sorrow. Let's start rejoicing in the goodness of God. God has forgiven us. God has turned his face back to us. His hand is now upon us. Let's start doing this. Our God is with us. So put away the weeping. No more weeping. You've done enough of that. And Ecclesiastes says there's a time to weep and a time to rejoice. There's a season for everything. And, and, uh, you know, and the idea of personal revival, you know, let's repent. Let's clean out the garbage. Let's get rid of the junk. Let's make the first thing the most important thing, and that's our love for Jesus. Let's prioritize the house of God. Let's prioritize the word of God. Let's get our life back together. Let's return to our first love. Let's do that. And I guarantee you, the joy of the Lord will be restored in our lives. You know, Psalm uh, David prayed in Psalm 51. This is after his grievous sin of adultery and murder. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. God does not want us always to be sorrowful, always to be scourged, always to be weeping, always to be heavy hearted. He, he wants us to serve him with gladness with gladness. Are you discouraged? Is your soul cast down? Do you feel the heavy hand of God upon you because things aren't right between you and God? David talks about the hand of God being heavy, heavy, the heavy hand of God. You know, the hand of God is upon you. He anoints you, but sometimes it's a heavy hand. And and, uh, when it's a heavy hand, you feel depressed. Because he's dealing with things. And like I say, there's seasons for that, right? The Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But the Bible talks about, let that have a great work in you, but he'll bring you out of that and restore to you the joy of your salvation. Let's not stay weeping. Let's not stay discouraged. Let's not stay dark or heavy hearted. Let's do business with God. Now last week I talked about it took him 16 days to repair that house and to clean out the junk. It doesn't have to be a long time. It doesn't have to be a long time. You don't have to take all of 2021 chasing this thing. Hopefully after last Sunday, if you were here, the work's already begun. And when you came on Wednesday or today, you feel more alive and connected to God. You feel like you're dealing with things and God's put his hands on some things and and you've stepped up in your obedience So they had the joy of their salvation restored. This is just steps of revival that I see happening or, or, or signs of revival. And another sign of revival is not only the joy being restored and you're, you're, you're honoring God's word, but they obeyed God's word. Listen to this in Nehemiah 8, 11 and 12. So the Levites quieted all the people. Be still. The day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. And in that sense of understanding, they they then instituted the Feast of the Tabernacles and they began to participate in In other words, they understood the words of the Lord and they then began to do it. They began to do it, to obey. Is there a place you need to obey? Is there a sin you need to shun? Is there an attitude you need to get out of your life? You need to get things squared around, some junk in your trunk. <laughs> this one says in Ezra, Ezra 7, verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it. That's Ezra seven ten. That's actually the steps for any minister. You study the word so that you might do the word so that then you have credibility to teach the word. You don't study it to teach it. You study it that you might do it, so then you might teach it. Listen, fathers, you must read the word and and fill your heart with the word so that you might become a man of the word so that then you can teach your children the word. Gives you credibility, you see. Obeying... God's word. In conclusion, are you in need of personal revival? My wife can talk and, and cry at the same time, but my throat seals shut. I, I just can't do it. I just have to wait for that feeling to pass. Are, are you in need of personal revival? Do you need a fresh hunger for God's word? Do you need your joy renewed? Do you need to repent and obey? This revival happened at the Watergate. Holy Spirit, make these words be like arrows and hearts. Make your word be like hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Oh, break up our hard heart and rocky soil. May your word be like fire that burns up the chaff, the sin in our life. May we love your word and be people of the word. Lord, this culture is crazy. Pour out your spirit. Let it start with me. Oh, Jesus, how I love you. How I love you. How I love you. How I love you. Let it start in me. Come, Holy Spirit precious precious Holy Spirit we return to our first love we return to the house of the Lord we return to your word we open up our heart for your Holy Spirit to be like fire and to be like wind and to be like that fresh oil and that beautiful dove transforming our lives. 2020 was tough and challenging and difficult. Lord, we repent of anger and fears and discouragements and distractions and being caught up in the politics of it all and choosing sides. Lord, we just turn from all that. Lord, we want different, better. We want better. I want better, Lord. Lord, I pray for personal revival for me. Thank you, Lord, that you've begun this work in me. Lord, I pray for my congregation, your people, O Lord, that there be personal revival. If you need, uh, if you'd like to, and you feel comfortable, please come to the altar and you can stand or kneel. If you're not comfortable doing that, you can just make an altar right where you're at if you want to honor God by standing to your feet, if you want to kneel before the Lord, you can just sit there. That's fine as well. Let's just, just open up our heart to the Lord. Let's just call on the name of the Lord and take advantage of the move of the the move of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.